from the pages of Wrestling Remembered comes Where Are They Now? Our own Jimmy Farrow. Even though Jimmy's missing in action from the show for the past couple months, his chair is just waiting for his return. Currently, Farrow is on break from the show and is soaking up the sun with his love in Florida. Ron Shaw. Last we saw Ron, he and Monty buried the hatchet on an episode of Monty and the Pharaoh. Since then, Ron was seen threatening to punch a director after not receiving a role on the senior edition of the Jersey Shore. Currently, he can be seen beating up drunks at his country club. John Cena Sr. John Cena Sr. quickly became a friend of the show during the Thursday Night Wars. Currently, Mr. Cena can be found making his world-famous hot sauce. Daniela Petro. Former co-host Daniela was terminated for breaking the code of conduct of Monty and the Pharaoh and has returned to a life of irrelevance and posting about Matt Riddle on X.com. That's all for this week. Make sure to check out Wrestling Remembered for your weekly dose of wrestling history. And APB, American Protection Bureau, voted number one best on Long Island for all your security needs. Call 631-390-9050. That's 631-390-9050. APB. You need a body shop? You need engine repair? Auto excellence. Collision specialists. 631 631- Two six one six four two zero. That's six three one two six one six four two zero. Auto Excellence. Jimmy, I gotta take a dump. What? No, I mean I need a dumpster. <sighs> well, for all those needs, you need to call Big V Dumpster Rental, Long Island, New York, six three one nine hundred dump. Elm Logistics, for all your logistic needs, call 631-299-3595. That's 631-299-3595. Elm Global Logistics, pride, performance, and partnerships. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Wrestling Remembered. This is ESO, also known as Bruce, and I'm here with the player, Betty Scala. And what a day, Joe. What a day, Joe. What a day. What a day, gentlemen. What a day. What's going on, guys? Not much. Glad to be here. We're going live, man. We're we're hitting a big time now. Yeah, we are. It's Wednesday. We it's are. Wednesday, hump day, the week's middle finger, all the that good stuff, I, right? I love that when, when you always say that, Joe. Yeah, that's why I'm in the middle, the middle finger. There you go. <laughs> but, hey, hey, this is awesome. This is our first live edition. Hopefully we get a couple of the Monty and the Pharaoh regulars in the in the chat to interact with us. And, you know, this, sure. this should, be, should be a good time. So, hey, hey, what a day. What, what's going on with you this week? Well, sports, everything, sports, sports, sports. You know, between podcasts, baseball podcasts, the newly rebranded uh, Twin Bill is now the Line Drive Baseball Podcast. Coming right at you, by the way. Uh, we just taped our inaugural episode yesterday. That should be posted soon on the Monty and the Pharaoh YouTube channel. Of course, we got What a Day in Centerville going on tonight. And, of course, I'm looking forward to challenging at the uh, 30 tomorrow night, 8 o'clock Eastern time. So, uh, busy schedule this week. Busy, busy. Nice, nice. Hey, hey, player, what's going on over there? 
Same here. So we we did the like Joe said, we did the line drive initial uh, episode or the re the initial rebranded episode. Rebranded, uh, yeah. Dan, Dan and Benny in the ring last night. We had George Shire, uh, wrestling historian. Uh, we got, and of course, we got uh, today, and then we have uh, we're all going to be gunning for it tomorrow night nice. on Death Thirty. Nice, nice. Wow, I'm turning so, into the SD Jones of that show, I'm telling you, just well, coming up short every time. Yeah, it's, I know every week, just shy. You should have well one we, point. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we all we've got a uh, lot going on with this channel, a lot of growth, a lot of really good good content going on. The the thirty is going going crazy. We're getting great reviews on that, and uh, nice. great show. Yeah, and as always, we, we have the at nine p.m. on Thursday. We have the Monty and the Pharaoh show that follows. Uh, hey, hey, Betty, what is the guy's name this week? You know, you've interviewed him before. Who's that? The, the Monty and the Pharaoh that Monty has this week. What is the the gentleman's name? Oh, Keith Elliott Greenberg, great, great oh, yeah. author. Man, yeah. oh man, he had so many good books. The only book I've actually read of his was the uh, his Fred Blassie book, and it was absolutely oh, yeah. terrific. But he's written he's written true crime books. He's written music books. He wrote a book about John Lennon the day John Lennon was shot. Just uh, a yeah, that was just prolific a author, yeah. good guy too. Unbelievable, good stuff. Yeah, I've seen him on Facebook and stuff. Good guy. Oh, hey, Benny. Benny, your favorite playmate's in the chat. Uh-oh. Oh, shout out to – is Beth there? Yeah, hey, Beth. Hopefully, hopefully you're feeling well. She was a little bit under the weather today. Uh -oh. A little bit of a cold, so – Best wishes for a uh, quick recovery. Yeah, Beth, thank yeah, thanks you. for joining us. Yeah, Appreciate thank it. you. Thank you. The, you're the, uh, the first guest of our chat. Thank you. She is the number one and forever playmate. <laughs> play is playmate. Nice. Play is, okay. play is got to play. And they need playmates to play with. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Hey, well, uh, do you want to uh, get this started? We've got a, we got a lot to cover this week. and uh, Yeah, let's do this. So, Benny, you going to start us off, it looks like. We're going way yes, sir. We're going back in time before me. Wow. All right. Yeah. Well, not before me, though. So December 11th, 1974, in Chula Vista, California, Oscar Gutierrez Rubio is born. And nobody knows who that is, but he actually made his professional wrestling debut on April 30th, 1989, wow. at the young age of 14 <clears throat> as Rey Mysterio. At, named after his uncle who trained him. And, of course, he's been a, a force in wrestling for the last 34 years. Uh, to me, he's one of the all-time greats. How somebody who's like five foot nothing, weighing 100 nothing, <laughs> could, could become such a huge force in professional wrestling. Now, I have to ask you guys a question, though. Sure. I am not a fan of Dominic Mysterio. I the, Just my opinion, if Dominic Mysterio was named Dominic Jones and showed up at the Performance Center – you know, weighing 130 pounds with a buck 30, sure. whatever he weighs, with not oh, yeah. an ounce of muscle on him, he's bagging groceries somewhere. That's just my opinion. I, I have well, to agree. I mean, yeah, I mean do, you, do you disagree with his wrestling ability, his, you know, his uh, character? Because he's 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 getting it done on the entertainment side. There's no doubt about it. That that crowd noise when he tries to speak, that's like gold for WWE. I really think. I mean, I think in in you know in deference, Rhea, Rhea Ripley is really the one who's giving him the run. Yeah. Not literally. Well, maybe who knows? Backstage, that could be happening too. But yeah, nah, no, she's I agree. With Buddy Murphy. I agree, Benny. <laughs> if he weren't Rey Mysterio's son, he would not be anywhere. He is. He's not. He's too small to be part of the WWE. If it. He's he just doesn't he's very vanilla. It, um, I yeah. don't know how the character got over that big, but I have to say it did. I mean, you, you can't deny yeah. that the the crowd. 
Um, he's yeah. not he's and, not Eric Watts horrible, and he's not David Flair horrible. I, I put him in yeah. like the Miz, where he annoys me. Right. I'm, I'm just saying, right. as far as like you know, sons of famous wrestlers. I mean, you know, David Flair had to be one of the worst. Eric Watts was god awful. Oh um, god, yeah. But oh, yeah, god. I mean, and he's I, Dominic is not a bad talent. I'm just saying that if, if Dominic was somebody else, he ne- we would never see him in the '80s. Well, he would I mean, have been enhancement. Yeah, yeah, Mike's saying Dom is the MVP. Okay, well, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, you take him out of the Judgment Day, and there's really nothing there. So. No, he's he's I mean, getting nothing the from everybody. Guy. I mean, you got to be a great athlete to perform in WWE in, in, in front of all those fans and everything. I think he's perfect for what he's doing right now. But as the saying goes, what happens when the Judgment Day disbands and all that stuff? What happens to, you know, Dominic well, there? I mean, does he, he becomes... reconcile with his father? I mean, it, there's a lot of possibilities. You know, that's like, eventually going to – that's got to happen yeah, eventually. I mean, well, eventually, is he going to wear a mask? He, is he going to Is he going to don a mask? I mean, that's or in his legacy. Ray Mysterio the third. Yeah. Is he going to hit knows? the juice? Is he going to bulk up there? I don't know. Uh, and I'm not saying he's not good right now. I'm just saying he never would have gotten that door open for if he showed up to the performance center, you know, looking like he looked, I, he we wouldn't see him. I mean, the guy literally grew up in a WWE ring. I mean, the right. storyline yeah. with Guerrero and Mysterio and the battle for custody and all that stuff. I mean, he he knows the business. Yeah, he grew up he's, on TV. Like I said, he's perfect for what he's doing right now. And can't I can't it. see him. Any, I can't see him as anything else right now. I can't picture it if it's rebranding or something like that. I don't know, but right now he's perfect for where he's at right now for what he can do and what what he's established yeah, so far. So. The top heel in the company. It's yeah, good. I would say. Oh, look at this. We're we're already penalized seven points for the. I mean, what happened to free speech here? Come <laughs> oh on. my god, <laughs> who got deducted seven points? This is crazy. Oh jeez, oh, I'm wait, already wait, screwed. Wait, wait. Phil, I'm it's Phil who got deducted. Phil, you were starting tomorrow. Oh, plus seven. Oh, there you go. I think I'm going to just bring my laptop to some bar and uh, do my best Foster Brooks imitation on that. Then, you know. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Can't get You can't get away from the 30, huh? It's that hot. Yeah. Hot. I mean, it's being talked about everywhere. Look at this. Oh, All right. Am go. I up now? What do we got here? There we go. Yep. All right, we're going back to December 11th, 1997. In my own backyard, Lowell, Massachusetts. Attitude era, just about to turn that corner, almost, you know, taking that right-hand turn and so forth. You know, this uh, particular thing here, WWF Commissioner Sergeant Slaughter setting up a European title match between um, champion Shawn Michaels and his DX cohort, Triple H. Michaels, obviously WWF champion at the time, lays down and allows Triple H to cover him for the pinfall and the championship. Now, this is uh, you know, this would be one of several DX's encounters with Sergeant Slaughter for the next few years. Uh, with Shawn Michaels laying down for Triple H and so forth, it was perceived back then as mockery, uh, not only to the sport, but to the European championship. So this was kind of a you know, this is where that turn was taking place where, you know, they're going to do things their own way now and they're going to get away from, you know, because, you know, Slaughter wanted them to to brawl and they weren't going to have it. You know, DX was formed. We all know what happened after that and so forth. Quick note, though, uh, Shawn Michaels defeated the British Bulldog in September of 97 in Birmingham, England for the title. And uh, in less than three months, the title was unified with the uh, well, they, they battled for three months, but the title was finally unified with the intercontinental title all the way back up to july of 2022 i did not know that um for some reason i just that that european title i i did anybody pay attention to the european championship back then i have a question about the european title was it ever depend defended in europe 
Well, uh, yeah. Uh, what do you call it? British Bulldog won it there. and, and, I and think, was, That was it, though, wasn't it? Well, then Michaels beat him in Birmingham, England after that. They did, okay. So technically, yeah, it was birthed over there. But th- this title, I mean, I, you know, I looked at some of the title holders. I, I, I don't know. It, I wasn't a big fan. Let's put it that way. It, it wasn't. It wasn't like it was half of the IC title. It was just. Yeah. You know, it to was a step up from the, the uh, hardcore title. To unify with the Intercontinental title made zero sense to me. That IC title has been around since '79. You know, we all know Pat Patterson, Rio de Janeiro, big tournament winner there. Yeah. Um, but and then you're gonna throw the year. Yeah, that was awesome. What a tournament! I mean, I, I, I can't, I, I can't I, find I, the actual footage of the match, but I heard it's out there somewhere. My flight got canceled. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's what I got for that one, guys. So you know, the laying down—they considered a mockery. A lot of wrestling pundits and so forth were getting on board with the the DX and the Attitude Ever, and you know, they thought it was—you know—some people thought it was funny, some people thought it was a mockery, not only to the title but to the sport itself. But hey, we've we've seen a number of those types of finishes before, so. Well, we're going to fast forward a number of years to 2014 NXT TakeOver Re-Evolution. So this uh, this sees the debut of Kevin Owens, who defeats C.J. Parker, who is now known as Juice Robinson. In, and in the main event, Juice, Sami Zayn defeats Adrian Neville to win the NXT Championship, only to be attacked by his lifelong friend, Owens, who powerbombs yeah. him uh, off the ring, on the ring apron. So that was a we we got to look yeah, the, these that. these guys have been uh, been together on and off forever and you know oh yeah they just don't seem to be reaching that main event level that they're that they're that they were kind of groomed to get in NXT they were top guys but in the WWE yeah. they just don't seem to be getting that to that 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 next level but if we when we check out the whole card you had Kevin Owens making his right. de- debut uh, defeating C J Parker. You had the uh, Lucha Dragons, Callisto and Sin Cara, defeating yeah. the vaudeville, vaude villains. Um, who was that? That was I Indian. love the vaude villains. Oh man, 80, that was such a great team. Yeah, Aiden English and Simon Gotch. Aiden English. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, Baron Corbin defeated Ty Dillinger by pinfall. He had long hair then, I bet. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Finn Balor defeat uh, Finn Balor and Hideo Atama defeat the Ascension. Uh, Charlotte defeats Sasha Banks. For the uh, for the NXT Championship, and then Sammy defeating shocker, shocker, yeah, and then Sammy defeating Neville. So yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of yeah. future main eventers and a lot of future history in the the WWE there. But uh, you know, I, I think that that big thing with is Kevin Owens uh, debuting on that day. He's uh he's made his imp- yeah. definitely made his impact. I'm just waiting for him to get that that next break to become that main eventer. I don't he know what it what it came is. Came up with a huge push though. He went right over Cena. Then he won the U.S. Championship. Yeah, oh, yeah. When he, when he started, and then he just kind of stalled after that. Well, he had to run with Roman Reigns for a while there. Yeah, I saw, I saw well, that was that was a great match Martin, too. Yeah. The, the the Reigns uh, Owens title match was phenomenal. There's no doubt about it that NXT hit gold with the Owens. Um, Sami Zayn feud because that, oh, yeah. that even brought me my attention to NXT to see what yeah. those two can do and so forth. They work very well together. And they really fast forwarded them to to Raw and SmackDown right after that, and they tried to do that same thing again. It just didn't go over as well. I don't know if because nobody really knew the history, even though they tried to show you the old photos of them in Canada and all that stuff. My take on this is I think history is going to repeat itself. Uh, I know Sammy's out with an injury right now, but Sammy is on fire. He's loved by everybody. Owen, same yeah. thing. I think you're going to see this Owen, Sammy, same thing. They're going to get together, you know, probably at WrestleMania and do something together again and all that stuff. But I think 
come next year, SummerSlam like that, you're going to see a full-blown Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens battle royale. I think I think that's what's going to happen. They're going to groom that again. Yeah, so they I can think get a lot, of, a lot of juice out of that. Yeah, they were too new when they came up to WWE, you know, when yeah. they got transferred up. And they just – everyone was like, okay, who's who's Kevin Owens again? Who's Sami Zayn? Unless you're a loyal NXT follower, you knew who they were, but they just weren't household names yet. Well, and, and, and but now they are. most people, they were uh, Kevin Steen and El Generico. They had oh, a, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, grown so, to their new names. I mean, and they kept showing all the old photographs and the video of them together growing up. That's great. You know, you got a Christian and Edge type of scenario mm-hmm. here. Same thing. I think right now with both men being seasoned, we'll call them veterans now because they've been in, up here for almost 10 years. I would say definitely you're going to see uh, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, uh, feud again, and it's going to be wild because they can probably push the envelope now. You know, with with with, with Vince McMahon being in creative, uh, no longer with creative, I think Triple H and uh, those guys will do something big with them later on down the road. Yeah, agree. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Who's up next? What do we got next? I'm going way back, oh, yeah. and I'm, I'm waiting for one of these where like that happened before I was born. But it, <laughs> I was I was seven and a half when this one happened, December twelfth, nineteen sixty three, the National Arena, Washington D.C. In a rare televised wrestling appearance, uh, actually in a match, Bruno would do a lot of interviews, rarely wrestled on TV. Right. Uh, he, he defeated the great Mortier, Hans Mortier, great wrestler. Yeah. Um, and also on this card was Pedro Morales, a very young Pedro Morales, who scored a victory over a guy named Gordo Chihuahua. Man, Gordo. you know, if they give you a name like Gordo Chihuahua, you're, you're fucked. You know, it, rumor has it he came back as uh, Sammy Shih Tzu, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Pedro. I mean, look, eight years later, look what happened. No kidding. Wow, sixty-three, huh? Yep. Pedro was around for. That's one thing people think yeah. that, that Pedro came onto the scene in like you know nineteen seventy seventy one. He was there before. Oh, oh yeah. No, I, I get that. My goodness. Um, the great Modier. Whatever happened to him? I know the name. He uh, got. I mean, huge push. He was managed. I don't know if you remember this guy, Joe uh, Redberry. Red Berry. Oh, yeah. Wild Red Berry, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. and uh, he, I think he left in 68. I'm not sure where he went after wow. that. I don't think he ever came back, though. I mean, he would do one-hour uh, draws with Bruno. I mean, he was, he was a main eventer. Yeah. I had a, you know, he was a bodybuilder from Holland. I think his real name was Jacob Grobby, G-R-O-B-B-E. Wow. Um, but, yeah, he was, you know, he'll definitely, you know, 100% heel. And, uh, yeah, he did, that was that was in 68. He was one of the the rotating, you know, you, you bring in a new heel, you know, yeah. they, they go through the, you know, first they beat Arnold Skull and then they beat Antonio Pugliese or, you know, and then later it was Jay Strongbow. Joey Scapa. Joe Scapa, right, from Nutley, New Jersey, right? And then, they, you know, then then they did the the, the, the match with Bruno. And it was it was a good match. They got three three sellouts out of it. You know, wow. sometimes it was just one, but, yeah, so – uh yeah, I guess we should do another show on the, the, whatever happened to Gore Chihuahua. <laughs> nice. So let, let's fast forward a couple of years to the, my, my prime wrestling uh, youth. WWF tapes uh, matches part of the 19, uh, 1989 pay-per-view movie uh, or on a pay-per-view, No Holds Barred match. It was uh, wow. It was for the movie. It was Brutus Beefcake and uh, and Hulk Hogan against Randy Savage and 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 Zeus, Tiny Lister. There, I don't know which was worse, the movie, the match, the concept, but uh, I don't really have much I, to talk I, I, about. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to cra- crap on anybody, but Tiny Lister didn't deserve. He, he didn't belong in the ring. He was an awesome, awesome person, great actor, but that wasn't that definitely wasn't his uh, his forte. I, I, 
That's a typical Vince McMahon circus money grab right there. I mean, yeah. oh, that was the movie, the big screen, literally off the big screen into the ring. Yeah, and it was so I huge. was scratching my head on this one. Yeah, I was scratching my head on this one. I was, I was oh, probably 12-ish, 12, 13 at this point, and, you know, big, big wrestling fan. So for me, I couldn't wait to go see it. And I think that might have been one of the reasons I stopped watching wrestling at that point. It was either keep watching yeah. that. Yeah, that was uh, it. Got it got bad. It was getting to that. You know, yeah, that I point. mean, that was probably the almost the beginning of Hogan's exit. Right after that, he left a couple of years later. Yeah, 90, so. well, uh, ninety one was or ninety was the uh, when he defeated. Or ninety, he lost the belt to Warrior. Ninety one, he yeah. won it back from, uh, from Slaughter. Slaughter and then yeah, yeah. then ninety two, he was gone. He but was this gone. was yeah, it. I could see. Oh, this is big time stuff right here now. That's Bruce, you lost four more points for uh, for no, no selling, no hose bar. Now you're minus 11. You must have stayed home. Jeez. Oh, gee. Uh, uh, big surprise there. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. I mean, I'm going to actually win tomorrow. You'll all be negative by the time I get on the show tomorrow. Night. This is great. This is good stuff. <laughs> all right. All, all right. right. All right. That looks like I'm up here, folks, right? All right. Yes, so December 12th, uh, actually. Yeah, December 12th, 1990, Minneapolis, Minnesota, obviously the AWA Heartland. Uh, AWA World Heavyweight Champion Larry Zabisco relinquishes the title to his father-in-law, who we all know is Vern Gagne. When he signs with WCW, the title was then retired, and the AWA was gone the following year. Um, I'll be honest with you. I just really recently found out that Vern Gagne is Larry Zabisco's father-in-law, the late Vern Gagne. I didn't know that for uh, years. Yeah, he's married to... uh, yeah, Larry's married to Kathleen Gagne. You know, by that time, though, the AWA had, you know, already been inactive since the fall. Yeah. Despite the inactivity, they continued to broadcast programming into 1991, maintaining a presence in the wrestling world, but we all know. Uh, however, the final, final blow to the AWA, AWA came when the promotion, unable to sustain itself, financially filed for bankruptcy. This event, uh, event signified just the end of the championship, but also the closure of the once prominent wrestling promotion, thus ending an influential era in the professional wrestling history, as well as the territory system like this. I got out of the Navy at this time, and I was, like, blown away that what happened to the AWA? Like, that was, you know, I picked up the old wrestling magazines, and there were three world champions, NWA, AWA, and WWF. And now, to me, that's a part of my childhood that's gone now because AWA was something I always look forward to in the wrestling magazines and further on the line when cable came oh, yeah. down my road, you know? Yeah, so. and, and, and they were on equal footing. I mean, in, in the sixties and the seventies, they, they were, were you know, they were, they huge. were in with each other. It wasn't, yeah. you know, they, they weren't the AEW to the, to the WWE. They were, they were a powerful organization. Definitely. My only question is, is back in the day when, you know, cause like I've mentioned before on, on the other podcasts and so forth, like I turn on Georgia championship wrestling and I'll see the wild Samoans wrestling down there. And then they'll be on WWF programming a week later. Like they used to shuttle the wrestlers back and forth, you know, load them out per se, as they say. I never really saw AWA and WWF do that. Um, you know, outside of a couple of, I, I think I can go back to some history matches there back, uh, on, you know, on the old WWE network and saw like maybe a, a quick Vern Gagne sighting, an exhibition he, match. He did an occasional Vern shot. Uh, Vern did a shot at, at yeah. MSG once in a while. I want to say Jim Brunzel before the high flyers and all that stuff came over. You didn't see that shuttle all the time. Nobody was involved in storylines and all that. It was more like filler on cards that were obviously house shows back then. But uh, that was one thing I I was always confused about because, you know, NWA, WWF, they always did stuff. Um, But I don't know. I think uh, that was a part of my history too. Growing up, there was always that AWA mainstay, you know, Crusher Brackwell, Jerry Blackwell. 
uh, Ken Patera, of course, Hogan, yeah, Wahoo, like Billy Graham. You yeah. know, I I know uh, Phil DeSari's, uh favorite wrestler, Rock and Roll Buck Zumhoff, was out of there and all that <laughs> stuff. So, uh, <laughs> but you know, hey, it is what it is. But I, it's you know, part of history. It's um, you know, it's 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 sad, you know, uh, having a promotion get eaten up like that. But this is part of Vince McMahon's plan to slowly disassemble everybody that's in his way. You know, as yeah. you move across the coast, so. Yeah, maybe we should do. Uh, where are they now? Gordo Chihuahua and then Rock and Roll Buck Zumhoff. Where, where are they now? Zumhoff's in prison. Listening to the boombox. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. So, uh, December thirteenth, nineteen eighty-eight. Speaking of the AWA, uh, in an attempt to thwart the meteoric, meteoric expansion of the WWF, collaborates with world-class wrestling, powerful women of wrestling in the Memphis-based uh, CWA. Uh, to stage Super Clash 3 from the UIC Pavilion in Chicago. It was a bust. Uh, this is kind of yeah, less than 2,000 fans and only 40,000 pay-per-view buys. Uh, highlights or lowlights, however you want to look at it, were uh, Jimmy Valiant defeating Wayne Bloom in 24 seconds. I don't get that one. And uh, Jerry Lawler defeated Kerry Von Erich to unify the uh, the AWA and the WCWA titles. Um, but by then, I mean, Joe just said it. By then, the AWA, they were – they were heavy duty circling the drain. Yeah, that was the US WA right? Right. Yeah. Their, their best moments were, were way behind them. And and I I still I'll always wonder if, if Hulk had won the title. Maybe the state would I think the state would still happen, but I think it would happen maybe like say three years later. I think the, yeah. I think he would I think Hulk would have given like another year or two. Yeah, this is definitely a downfall. This is a start there. It's sad though, because um they were a powerhouse. They were. They just got gobbled up by the Vince McMahon marketing machine. And this is definitely the circus era of WWE now where, you know, they're packing their house shows were like in stadiums, um, you know, 15, 16,000, like Saturday night's main event. You know, they had easily 15,000 people at the Meadowlands or something right. like that. Yeah. This was coming um, off of WrestleMania three era. That was like, yeah. Uh... So, I mean, it's sad. I mean, I, I, I don't know what it is uh, to me. I sometimes think it's location where they were located. Um, but it was a hotbed back in the day. Minneapolis no, I mean, is a hotbed. There's no doubt. They about would it. run monthly cards in both St. Paul and yep. Minneapolis, and they yep. they they pack them in there. Yeah, I mean, they were like the Von Erichs in Texas. They had a control in that area, and they just got gobbled up. And I think Vern Gagne had some issues as well with Vince McMahon personally. Um, you know, so who knows? Who knows what happened on that end? Right. All right. So I'm moving on. Is that me again? I'm up again. Wow. Yeah, you're working right. hard today, Joe. All right. December 13th, 1989 in beautiful Huntsville, Alabama. The Colossal Connection, a.k.a. Andre the Giant and Haku, defeated Demolition with the WWF Tag Team Championships. Now, this would be the last title in Andre's illustrious career. Um, the Colossal, Collection, uh, Colossal Connection beat Demolition. This was tape delayed for a week, so theoretically they won the belts and it was shown to the world on the TV on December 30th, believe it or not. Oh, okay. Um, Haku actually wrestled Demolition all by himself, yep. never tagging Andre the Giant in due to Andre's ongoing health problems that would eventually cause his death less than three years later. Uh, by the way, this is also Andre's last official match in the WWF, so uh, 1989, not a good year for Andre with no, his health so this problems is... and so forth. Right. So. What, two and a half years removed from WrestleMania three, and he yeah. was in bad shape then. Oh, he limped in a WrestleMania three. I mean, I they mean had he barely on. made that. I can only imagine what kind of shape he was by by late '89. Oh yeah, he. Yeah. I mean, he really uh, degenerated. Uh, really went downhill. 
Now, this was after that, that says the, the last, the last title. Yeah. I mean, did did he? Do you know if he won any other titles? I mean, he, not, he won nothing in WWF. Well, he got the. Well, he, he did won. win. I guess he did win the. Technically, is he technically Ted a DiBiase WWF champion? Title. Yeah, Ted DiBiase gave him the title there, so he's. I think he's recognized as well, right? Or he he won well, it. He, he won gave it, yeah. it to DiBiase. Yeah, yeah, he won and gave it to DiBiase. So I guess yeah, that, that counts. So he gets that. I remember seeing in the old wrestling magazines. Didn't I think he won the title from Harley Race to the NWA, and he like said, "I don't want it." Or something like that. I remember if reading he wanted, the article. It was, it was I, don't it, I don't think it's recognized, but I remember reading the article, and Andre actually had the title on his shoulder. Um, but I think it was one of those deals where you know I won. That's it. I'm, I don't want to be the champion, you know, because Andre by then was being loaned out to everybody yeah. from Mancini. Yeah, so Phil, Phil makes a very good comment. Uh, poor Andre couldn't stand up straight. I mean, by then, I mean, oh, he yeah. was in absolute agony. It was, I mean, he was doped up on so much medication, and then he had the back brace. Uh, when he fought Hogan at, at, in Michigan, you know, WrestleMania three. So, yeah, he limped in. And that was in 87. So, you know, fast forward a couple of years later. And he, I mean, they were just I think they were just trying to get as much exposure and money out of him as they can. And that's the Vince McMahon marketing machine. You know, he wanted to keep Andre in the focus and the limelight and all of a sudden. And I'm sure deep down, Andre wanted to be in front of the fans because that was his life. What you know, do, you, he, do you know? You guys know how much he got paid for that match? Oh, Andre? Uh, no, I, did no they have idea. contract? Anybody I mean, out there? If you guys can, uh, I heard he got a million bucks for the WrestleMania match, the match against Hogan at WrestleMania three. Oh, I'm sure that yeah, I'm sure there was a big payout for that. Had to be. Had I'm, to be. I'm gonna, I, I thought I heard a million, but where I feel bad for him is that run with the Warrior because from what I've heard, he had to take the Warrior oh. Slam every night or the oh. or body slam oh, yeah. on on house shows. So that I mean, Andre should never be on a house show. That was absolutely disgraceful. I mean, just to 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 tarnish the legacy of Andre to uh, have him job to Warrior every night. And I mean, you're talking like there were like 45 second matches. They weren't even, you know, not even a competitive match. It just that that was very sad. We get some accountants chiming in here. Somebody said Loose Can says 500k. But then Phil says a million. So yeah. Well, we get either or, right? So big money. That's big money back then. Don't forget. In in 87 dollars, that's that's good, Jack. I mean, that, for, that, for uh, 15 minutes of work. So. Yeah, really. <laughs> well, listen, guys, it's uh, it's about time to take a quick break. So we'll be right All back. Right. The Monty and the Pharaoh Show is brought to you by. Because wine is your second favorite four-letter word. California wine, New York attitude. Good fucking wine. Yeah. Tired of that same old, same old breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Same old tasting scrambled eggs, burger, that dinner steak, ribs, or pork chops. Why not add a little bit of spice or just a touch of heat to make the difference? Change that scrambled egg with a little bit of Johnny Fabulous's John Cena Sr.'s million-dollar jalapeno hot sauce. Great on burgers, steaks, chops, and those barbecued ribs. And Nitro's Garage for all your automotive needs. Call 646-675-2349. That's 646-675-2349. For all your automotive needs, Nitro's Garage. Ask for Jack. Do you treat your dog as part of the family? <laughs> well, so do we. 
So why not celebrate your pup's birthday with the ultimate party box? Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Party Pup Info, and let us make your pup's party or any celebration perfection. M&J Video Games and Collectibles. Sport and non-sport cards, wrestling items, autographed items. We buy, sell, and trade. M&J Video Games and Collectibles, located at 1049 Queen Street, Southington, Connecticut. Call us at 1-860-479-9223 or 860-93-GAMES. M&J Video Games and Collectibles. Welcome back to Wrestling Remembered. Let's real quick give a shout out to, to our faithful followers here. Uh, we got Phil DeCesare, the president of Thursday Night and habitual The 30 champion. We got Loose Cannon. <laughs> we got, who else we got? We got uh, we got Beth Harper, the, the number one playmate, the, the, the premier playmate. And we have Matthew the, Holland. Wait, the notorious Matthew Holland is in the house. Yes. Notorious. Notorious. That's a good wrestling name, Matthew Holland Tunnel. That'd be like that'd be good, right? That, yeah, that'd be that's good. like a that's a Chris Berman, right? Chris, oh yeah, there you go. Oh yeah, Chris Berman. He could go all the way. Nice, nice. The Raiders, the Raiders, the Raiders. Yeah, um, thanks everybody for tuning in. Greatly appreciated. That's awesome. So, let's stay on uh, December thirteenth, but we're gonna go to two thousand nine in San Antonio, where WWE's first tables, ladders, and chairs pay per view took place at the AT and T Center. Three title changes took place. Drew McIntyre defeated John Morrison to win the IC Championship. Sheamus won his first WWE Championship by defeating John Cena in a tables match, and the main event saw DX Shawn Michaels and Triple H defeat Jericho, Chris Jericho, and the Big Show to win the unified WWE Tag Team Championships. Wow! wow. So it's amazing how much of these, how many of these guys are still uh, still there today. And you know, look at you look at Sheamus. She, this was Sheamus's first title. Sheamus still so relevant today. At any point, he's one of the few people that yeah. I think could be few WWE competitors that could be brought back into the main event picture at any point. Um, you know, oh, Drew, yeah. Drew McIntyre. Come on, that, I, I didn't realize how much of an impact he's had on the on the WWE for for so long. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Got, you know, Christian still still wrestling at that point, and you know that was what we would have thought would have been the end of, end of his career, and now he's reinvented himself, and he's probably bigger than he's ever been. Well, yeah, over in AEW, right. you know, uh, I got to tell you, this is probably like my <clears throat> I want to say oh nine to probably oh eleven two thousand eleven, where I didn't really tune in every week religiously like I do now, because the product was very very stale at that time. I'm not sure what was going on. Well, they were cultivating uh, uh, the future great. audience. They were cultivating right, exactly. towards the I mean, kids so that they could grow up into this new attitude era that we have now. You know, right. I mean, because you get these guys have been already in the ring 20, close to 20 years now. And it's like, okay, you know, what are we going to do now? It, it was stale at that time, if you remember. And I, this is pre WWE Network. I know it was shortly after they wanted to, you know, take WWE to another level and so forth. But it, it's a tough, it's, you know, it was a tough time for me anyways for those two years. <laughs> All righty. So we're going back to the AWA, December 14th, 1973. I was three years, three months into college at that point, Minneapolis, Minnesota. 
Vern Gagne defeats The Crusher, Reggie Lasowski, to win his sixth AWA World Heavyweight Championship. And my comment here is, I guess it helps when you own the promotion, right? <laughs> um, but now I want to get your guys' take on this because this is something I've thought about. You know, as far as WWF in the 60s and yeah. 70s, it was very formulaic. Like I said, you know, they bring in a heel from another territory. Then, he, you know, slowly work through the, the card, you know, beat beat the Arnie Scullin, maybe beat the Nucci, you know, right. and or later on beat the Strongbow, get the match with Bruno. Bruno always won. The guy would slide down the card and yep. leave for the next territory. You know, and they brought the next guy in. And they did that for years and years and years, and it worked. I mean, they always sold out the garden. Yeah. Um, but with, with Ganya and the AWA – uh, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of making a joke that he won the six. His, I think he won it ten times in total. But their formula was, was a lot different. I mean, he would let uh, like he had uh, uh, Mad Dog Vashon held the title for a couple of years. Uh, you had Bill Miller. You had who else? Um, uh, Doctor X, the, the Destroyer, Dick Byer. Right. Uh, you had Bockwinkle for five years, from '75 to '80. So their their uh, business model was the the babyface fighting from underneath as the underdog sure where, you know the wwf had you know was was the other bruno was the hero he was on top and then the heel was chasing the champion so just wondering what you guys thought about you know they both worked yeah there's definitely that that worked for Vern Gagne for a long time and so forth but i also want to reiterate that Vern Gagne was running his wrestling school at that time so a lot of his talent would be thrown on tv and all that stuff too um but my thing here is is uh, the eat sleep repeat process does get stale how it didn't go stale sooner i have no i have no clue i didn't, I didn't live over there at that time I, obviously i wasn't watching it there but watching this now we're talking 1973 Vern Gagne defeats crusher to win his sixth awa title i mean that's 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 in, that's incredible i mean <laughs> when you think about it you know bruno was a two-time champ backham was a two-time champ uh pedro one time nobody has won the, the title like that um, oh, at least in the, in the, in that era. So that's kind of like, you know, I could pick up a wrestling magazine and they, you know, they were always a couple of months behind, but you know, one minute it could be Vern Gagne, the next minute it could be Crusher or whatever, or, or uh, whoever the other champions were. So that to me, that formula, that, that looks like it could get stale pretty quick, especially if you did that now, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. I think, I, I think the only reason why, well, I was going to say the only reason why it didn't go stale was, was that it was Bruno. Yeah. But then, you know, it, it did work for a bit with Pedro, but eventually it kind of faltered and right. you had to bring Bruno back in. Sure. And then finally Bruno said, look, I had enough. I'm, you know, 42 years old and they brought this superstar and he, in and yeah, you know, a little bit of a twist. Right. Now you got a heel champion, which yeah. I think they should have given him a long, either given him or a longer run as a yeah. heel no, no or doubt a about baby it. face. But like you said, it helps when you own your own promotion. I mean, that's like Vince McMahon. If he wrestled back in the 60s and 70s, we keep winning the title every other weekend because he just wanted to. But, I mean, you think about it, it's kind of, I don't know, that formula, obviously it worked for them for a while, but I just don't see how it could work anywhere else. I mean, you own the you own the company, you're doing all the booking, you're doing all the promotion, you're pretty much running the whole entire show, including, you know, promoting yourself you know what i mean don't forget Vern Gagne was a wrestler as well he was also a promoter he was also an owner so he's he's doing it all so um, and, and, well, and, then you, and then you 
push your uh, hundred. You talk about nepotism. You push a hundred and fifty pound kid. <laughs> it, it was like very like. I mean, he wasn't he was a very good worker, so, but I mean, he oh, did yeah. not look like a wrestler. Can I ask what's the difference between the fifty year old Vern Gagne putting the title on himself and the fifty year old Vince McMahon doing the exact same thing? Well, Vince didn't wrestle all that time. Vince yeah. McMahon was a character. He was the boss, chairman well, of the board. And, and, but, but and the other at, thing was, you know, Vern Gagne I, I, had a huge amateur amateur background. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was a wrestler. He was a wrestler. Yeah, yeah but I, McMahon's yeah. a you have to say Vince had the he had the the build for it. He did his job sure. in the ring. I mean, he he yeah. had the, that crowd eating out of the palm of his hands. Oh, he was yeah. a great heel, and he took every bump, and he did you know did color, he did whatever he had to. You got to yeah. give him credit for that. Yeah, don't. Yeah. Yeah, nobody could say that he wouldn't do what, you know, don't do what I wouldn't do. <laughs> no, he definitely led by example, for sure. God, he loved to blade himself, too, Vince. He Jeez, did. Yeah, he really God, did. He ever, I mean, even up until a couple of years ago when Kevin Owens headbutted him, he freaking <laughs> busted himself open. I'm like, the guy's seven. Well, I, I think that old. one was a hard way. That was like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, he started could, bleeding yeah, right been. away. He was bleeding by the time he hit the ground. Yeah, he was. You, you're taking a bump like that at that age. I mean, you're talking, you know, you're taking one for the team is one thing, but taking one for the entire company year after year after year during those attitude errors with Stone Cold and all that stuff. That's that's just that, that's insane. Yeah, Phil made the comment Vince had muscles. I think Vince was either in muscle and fitness or flex, one or the other. Yeah, he was always on there. Yeah, yeah he, he was, was always. He was on the cover at 50 and 60. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, you can't get that. You don't get that body by accident. I mean, that guy was putting heavy-duty time in the gym and, you know, putting the work in. You got to give him credit for that. That's, he was playing a character. That's what he yeah. was doing. You know, he went from the office to the to the ring. And it, it, I think it all started with the Bret Hart screw job, right? Bret screwed Bret. And that's when the Vince McMahon moniker, a.k.a. character, came into focus. And Yeah, kind of the same roids. I think Vince did, did have a little help from his friends. Well, Vince has always been a big guy. If you look at him next yeah. to Bruno in the old days, you know, wrestling commentary, Vince was a was a good-sized guy. I mean, to the point where when he interviewed Andre the Giant, you know, I think they put Andre in a box. They did. Just so, yeah. a box just so Vince didn't look as, you know, empowering next to him. I mean, even though you can't with Andre the Giant, but he really wanted to build Andre as a giant. So, you know, Vince was a, you know, for uh, owner of a major wrestling company, he was uh, he was putting the work in in the gym. That's for sure. Yeah, I actually saw that uh, recently in the WWE. They had a they showed a behind the scenes thing and Io Sky. I couldn't believe how short she was compared to oh, yeah. Bailey and Dakota Kai. She was on a on a four inch li lift to uh, yeah. you know, make her just still a little bit shorter than them, but not as much. But uh, I didn't realize how how tiny she was. Oh yeah, same with um the other girl. Uh, was it um Hiro Shikita, the girl from AEW, the the small one there, the the inaugural champion, AEW Women's Champion. Her name's slipping mind right now, but she wears like four inch heels on her things, and she's still small. Half of these girls can't even see over the top rope, so I don't understand right. the concept. I understand they're athletes and they're athletic and all that stuff, but yeah, I come from that era where you got to have some presence in the ring. You got to be you know, Charlotte's a good presence in the ring. Bailey, girls like that. I mean, don't knock Sasha Banks. She's still kind of short. You know, these girls yeah. are Becky Lynch. She she looks like she's um, starving herself after she had her baby. I hate to say that. She's not as bulky as she used to be when she was wrestling because you are a wrestler or a sports entertainer. You have to have some presence in the ring, and some of these girls lack that. And I, yeah. you know. It, it's it's okay. I mean, it's fun to watch, but you know, you try to you want to believe the character. But when you see, you know, somebody like Eo Sky, she's got to do those stunts to get herself over. She's a great wrestler, don't get me wrong, but you got to be a little, you got to have some uh, bulk there. 
uh, to take those bumps. So you got to be careful. So I think it looks like I'm up again, aren't I? All right. So we go December 14th, 1998. I love this year. Monday Night Wars in full swing. Uh, according to the notes here, Monday Night Raw defeated Nitro. Uh, it looks like viewership was 5.30 to 4.20. I'll never understood those metrics because back then, 12 to 15 million people were tuning into Monday Night Raw or well, I, Nitro. I think, um, Joe, uh, yeah. I think uh, like the a one point was worth is 1.4 million viewers. So yeah, you're like right. Those, yeah. It's like maybe like 7 million to like five and change. So I know back then, now, you know, everyone's like, oh, Raw defeated Nitro. Raw started defeating uh, Nitro back in January of 98 when, uh, you know, the big move by Tony Schiavone t- telling everybody that mankind, well, Mick Foley, some guy, Mick right. Foley's going to win the title and everybody turned the channel. They did. If you go through the 98 ratings book, they did go back and forth. So when you talk about the Monday Night Wars, it wasn't it wasn't the WWF trying to catch up to Nitro. The Monday Night Wars to me in '98 were who's going to watch what channel and what who how they're going to one up each other. Now, of course, if you watch the docu series on the network, both both locker rooms had the same show their, their respective counterpart shows on TV, watching to see what would happen next and so forth. So for this particular night, this Raw took place at the Tacoma Dome in Washington State. The main event. So The Rock with Shawn Michaels in his corner defeat Triple H with China to retain the WWF Championship. That was the main event. Over on the Nitro side from the beautiful Ice Palace in Tampa, Florida. I don't even know if that arena is still around. Uh, triple threat match. Goldberg, Nash, and Bam Bam Bigelow. The match ended in chaos because Scott Hall came out and all hell broke loose and all that. Of course, the ratings come out and so forth. Um, this is definitely... 98 was a huge year. Internet was fairly kind of just coming around the edge. Right. I don't even think Facebook was no Facebook was no no Facebook. So internet was you know AOL, plug it in, you know, get off the phone. I need to use the computer type of thing. Right. And I just remember like everyone was the ratings. Somebody put the ratings out there, and that's what everybody clamored to with these Monday Night Wars. Now, I don't know who would leak that information, how they got that information back then, because like I said, the internet was fairly new back oh, then. This so was it wasn't a- like you just. This was like the wrestle board, ever... wrestle board era. Yeah, this was a uh, wrestle. Oh, yeah. You had to go Definitely. go from from site to site and to see all the breaking news. That was uh, that was right. crazy. And don't forget, these ratings didn't come out till after. You didn't get these ratings the next day like you do now. You had to right. like, wait a week or a month or whatever the book was, and you know, flip to the page like, oh, how do we do? You know, th- this is this is the height of the the Monday Night Wars right here. This was if you look back in the '98 ratings, they were going back and forth. One week it was Raw, one week it was Nitro, one you know. But it's slowly, you know, turned into everybody's tuning into Raw now because obviously we're going to talk about it soon that the Attitude Era takes over. So but that was good he, stuff there. Uh, Here's my had, question, we though. Just, and I, I, we, had, we had George Shire uh, on Dan and Benny in the ring last night. And actually, this is actually something we spoke about um, that, you know, Joe, you just said 12, 13 million people. Now, let's right. just so you got on Monday night, it's, the viewership is about 1.5 ish. On Friday, oh, SmackDown is maybe between 2 and 2.2 million. Now, I have to believe. That the same people that are watching Raw on Monday night yeah. are, are watching SmackDown on Friday night, so it's the same people. Same thing with AEW. I think the top show gets about seven, eight hundred thousand. Yeah. Um, now those people probably are not watching uh, Raw or SmackDown. So let's just say you, you got three million in total. Sure. All right, for the week versus thirteen million. You know, twenty-five years ago, where'd those other ten million people go? Yeah, I I, I couldn't tell you. What I do know is that the biggest thing right now with the ratings, and Vince was a big advocate, and I think Tony kind of is too with AW. 
everyone DVRs everything now. Everybody streams everything now. Believe it or not, those aren't counted uh, in ratings. You have to watch the shows live because obviously the product is live. The advertisements are live. They want real numbers. Okay, so 1.5 people watch Raw. That's great. I know a handful of friends back up in Boston that don't watch it until Tuesday or Wednesday because they right, can't exactly. stand the commercials and they fast forward it. So the DVR on the streaming has a huge thing. Um, to you me, I think the Hulu. Hulu. Let's talk about Monday through Sunday how much wrestling is on TV now between every company. <laughs> you know, everyone's vying for viewership. I mean, you can go. I did a wrestling minute for Bill after uh, when AEW came around, and this is before they had Collision and Damage. Um, uh, whatever the, the other show is for AW, but nonetheless, th- we're saturated with the sport now. There's no, you know what I mean? If you TNA's on one night, Impact's on one night, NWA's on one night, um, WWE, SmackDown, Raw, AEW's got three shows a week. We are saturated. You will never see uh, 12, 13 million people watching wrestling anymore because it's it's just the product is flooded on, on TV, streaming. Or yeah. whatever apps yeah. you watch, yeah, and so exactly. forth. Well, you, didn't, you didn't even mention you've got, you know, you've got all these the apps, the streaming stuff, the fight networks. Right. Yeah. I mean, all these yeah. all these independent uh, companies also stream their their shows now. So I mean, yeah. there is there is a glut of wrestling out there. Yeah, I mean, and you, you go on uh, Peacock, and you have you know on, on the WWE. Well, it's not WWE Network anymore, but there's a veritable you know treasure trove of old territory wrestling shows. Just if you want to get your old school fix on. So, yeah, I mean, there is so much wrestling that, I mean, you could watch wrestling 24 hours a day if you wanted to. Oh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. But, yeah, the ratings now weren't accessible back then. I, I You know, 98, great year. And I, I think Phil just commented, too, that he was in Worcester the night that Mick Foley won uh, the title. And to me, that's one of the greatest, greatest pops you'll ever hear, um, similar to CM Punk and Survivor Series. Because when I, you know, outside of the Hogan era, when you go to that, you know, that pop factor, when Stone Cold's music and glass broken, every single, to me, if I remember correctly, every single entertainer was in and around that ring, DX, China, Triple H, everybody was there, even Vince, Shane McMahon, and the glass broke. Holy cow, that, that the place lit up. It was an explosion. Yeah. I'm sure Phil can comment on that, but it was. I'm sure his ears were ringing that night too, but that was the turning point right there uh, when WWF finally beat Nitro in WCW, so... And that was a taped raw, by the way. That wasn't even live. <laughs> wow. So Unbelievable. Let's, let's fast forward uh, about five years to 2003 in Orlando, Florida. WWE presents Armageddon from the TD, TD Waterhouse Center in front of 9,000 paid attendants with 200,000 watching in pay-per-view. Uh, highlights included Randy Orton defeating RVD to win the Intercontinental Championship. Molly Holly defeated Ivory to retain the WWE World's Women's title, and Triple H defeated Goldberg and Kane in a triple threat match to win the World Heavyweight Championship. Well, I got to say, it's not 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 the strongest uh, attendance or pay per view <laughs> pay per view buy for uh, the WWE. Uh, I think this is kind of getting into that bland era. I think this is the, the it's coming out of that a- the attitude era that uh, you know the. What do they call this? The new age? No, the uh, yeah, the era, the new era. No, I don't. I, I don't, forget. Yeah, it was just coming out of out of the attitude era. Um, not these people. These guys have stayed uh, stayed involved and everything in WWE. The card itself, there was, it, it was a, it was a good card. But you know, overall, I've, uh, just another uh, pay per view. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I'll be dead serious. I don't think I even watched that. <laughs> I don't remember it. I don't recall it. It's unfortunate. Oh three, um, man, I'm getting old. I don't even know where I was in 03. But uh, nonetheless, it's Orlando. I mean, nine thousand people in attendance. I mean, you're talking. Usually, WWE pulls in double digits, ten, twenty thousand people. Sure. So obviously, something was going on here. And of course, Triple H defeating Goldberg and Kane. I mean, that's, I mean, Goldberg, wasn't he like undefeated for like 1,050? Yeah, yeah, Goldberg was the champion. Yeah, Goldberg was the champion yeah. going in. Yeah. So, I mean, I, yeah, vanilla, vanilla, if you ask me. And yeah. it's coming off the attitude era, too. So, I mean, you know, that transition, that's that's a tough thing. Yeah, they after were, they were transitioning to the PG, that new P, that second PG era where, you know, it's yep. wasn't catering towards the uh, the hardcore fans, it was trying to get the new fans. And the younger right. fans again. Yeah. Be interested to note, what year did the WWE stock go public? Originally late in uh, 2001, 2000. No, that's when he bought WCW, but I'm, I'm, when did the stock? Oh, the he had, initial they, one. They didn't go the, public. Yeah, because uh, I remember they had, a, yeah, I, they had to cut everything back when they went public, like uh, violence-wise and all that stuff. So I don't know if that was a prelude to this or not. Maybe someone can chime in and let us know when, when that was. I want to say it was late 2000s, but. You might be right. Um, yeah. But yeah, this is uh, definitely that vanilla product that came out, and you know they were relying on pay per view at that time again too. So this before streaming and everything else. Don't forget. So nice. All right. So December fifteenth, nineteen sixty three, Japan. Yeah. Ricky Dozan, one of the most famous stars in the history of Japanese wrestling, died at the age of thirty eight following an infection from a stabbing by a yakuza. I guess gang member a week earlier, and uh, he and Freddie Blassie did huge business when uh, Blassie toured Japan, and I think uh, he actually came to the United States at one point and won the. Uh, back then, they had the WWA uh, World Wrestling Alliance was considered actually. If you go back to the magazines back in the late sixties, uh, you had the NWA, WWF, or WWWF, uh, AWA, but you also had the WWA. Uh, which initially was based out of Los Angeles and eventually uh, migrated to uh, Indianapolis. Right. Uh, it was bought by the Bruiser. But I think Ricky Dozan did actually defeat Blassie to win that championship. He he was a huge star. Um, he Before Baba, before the, the Anoki, Ricky Dozan was the, the man in Japan. He was a big guy, wasn't he? Was he yes. a big guy? Yep. He was a huge guy. I, I guess nowhere but on a wrestling podcast, we could talk about Japanese gang members. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. 38 years old. Unbelievable. They took their wrestling serious. I, well, they do. Oh, they still do. They um, still do. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Fred Blassie was huge in Japan, wasn't he? He was a he was a major draw. Yeah, yeah he, yeah, was. he was. Yeah. And uh, yeah, when he wasn't busy with John Tolos. Yeah. Because uh, I got to make Phil happy there. For this. <laughs> oh, um, you yeah. get a point for that one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'll redeem one of my 11 points that I lost. But no, I, Blassie made frequent tours of Japan. Actually, he was his wife, he met his wife there, his second wife. And uh, yeah, he was, uh, he was, he loved Japan and then Japan loved him. Well, when he turned babyface, they loved him. They hated him in the beginning. I think yeah. they called him like the vampire or something like that. Yeah, he bit, he used to bite everybody. That's oh, yeah. Yep. I remember those pictures in the magazines. <laughs> So let's fast forward to 1987 in Atlantic City, New Jersey. The second ever Slammy Awards. The most... Uh, <laughs> oof. Painful. The most noteworthy part of this was Vince McMahon's amazing performance of Stand Back that 
we've unfortunately amazing. seen a million times since then. Yes. Oh, <laughs> amazing tongue in cheek there. Uh, Play. Have you ever seen that? Play. You ever seen him sing that song? I did. Yeah, uh, I, I used uh, initially the, the script said cringeworthy, and uh, there was Bruce no lip thinking there. There was no. Bruce used a little editorial license there. <laughs> made it amazing. I, I'll, I'll stand by the cringeworthy. Cringeworthy. Oh, come on, that he had all the dance moves there. <laughs> I wonder if he. Uh, I wonder if uh, Stevie Nicks wanted to sue him for that for the title of that song because she had a yeah. big hit stand back too. But wow, maybe she should have wrestled him in one of the WrestleManias. That would have been a great match. Yeah, that would have been cool. There you go. So unbelievable. I, I know you guys, you know, probably didn't watch this because it was a little, uh, little cheesy back then. But this was for me prime wrestling. I was a little kid and I, I ate it up. And uh, you know, you look at some of the, <laughs> the things you had. The Hulk Hogan's Real American Award went to Superstar Billy Graham. Woman of the Year nice. was Elizabeth. Jesse the Body Award went to Rick Rude. Bobby the Brain Heaton Scholarship Award went to the Islanders. <laughs> Andre the Giant, Hercules, King Kong Bundy, and Harley Race. Uh, wow. be- best Ring Apparel was the King Harley Race. Manager of wow. the Year. The candidates, wow. Manager of the Year. Candidates were Bobby Heaton, Mr. Fuji, Jimmy Hart, and Slick, and... None of the above one. So, <laughs> best performance by an animal was George the Animal Steel. Oh, uh, did he win that one? Unbelievable yeah. shocker! The, the one that I remember the uh, the one that I remember the best was uh, for the song of the year. You had all the you know the stand back. You had uh, pile driver, girls in cars, and uh, the honky talk band. And then Sika came out and ate the envelope. So we never learned who uh, who actually won that one. So for well, me, my personal was- favorite was Land of a Thousand Dances. Yes, <laughs> that was a big one. The video and everything was. I loved that one. That yeah, but awesome. that wasn't nominated. Meat Loaf, Meat Loaf was in there. Yeah, <laughs> but that yeah, was great stuff. Yeah, I, I ate it up. This was. Uh, I thought this thing was great, but uh, it definitely looking back, wow. it was. Uh, <laughs> it was cheesy, but it, it was it was good entertainment. You can't argue that. Don't forget, nineteen eighty seven. Everything was done big. Everything with big hair, big everything. So this was this is the big probably right in the height of the circus era for the uh, WWF. This is crazy. So nice. fast forward ten more years to 1997 in Charlotte, <laughs> North Carolina. Brett the Hitman Hart makes his first WW or WCW appearance since signing with them the previous month. The purpose was to announce that Hart would be the special referee between Larry Zabisco and Eric Bischoff. Woohoo! Wow. I got to say, this was one of the nails in the coffin in WCW was bringing Bret Hart in. I don't think we would have had the Attitude Era if Bret Hart would have stayed in in WWF. Betty and I have kind of discussed it before, but could you picture what character would Bret Hart have played in an Attitude Era WWF? I can't can't see one. It wouldn't be marketable. It wouldn't be marketable. It wouldn't be believable. No. No, and I don't think you would even do it. And I mean, but I will always say that I never, the the minute I saw Bret Hart on WCW, I never once thought he felt comfortable. I mean, he was making a boatload of money. Yeah. But they they didn't use him correctly. And I just, I mean, he was a WWF guy, but, you know, that that also passed him by, though, because he he could not have, I I don't think he would have fit in the way, way, you know, he he fit in previously. Well, I said it earlier, Bret, Bret screwed Bret. You know, right. I mean, I, you know, come to find out now, I mean, have we finally discovered that this whole thing was a major work? I mean, the Montreal screw job and everything that went down. I mean, it was, yeah, you're looking at what? Not even a month went by, right? He was already in the WCW. Right. Because Survivor Series was in November. Just, so the screw job. So, yeah. Just didn't. 
Oh, good good comment by Loose Cannon. Uh, Jive Soul Bro is still still a dope song. I totally agree with that I'm comment. Still, uh, gee, I wonder who's saying that. <laughs> it was slick, wasn't Doctor it? Yeah, it was style. Style. It's the only one I can remember. <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, the wrestling album, didn't that? Is that the year the wrestling album came out too? Like Morocco had yeah, a pile yeah. driver song. You know, it was a great, pile great, driver. great song on that album. I'm going to bring yeah. it. it. Was uh, Nikolai Volkov singing Karamea. Oh, there you go. <laughs> what there a voice go. that guy had. I mean, I'm serious too. I mean, the guy had a beautiful voice. And that is true. David Wolf had a lot to do with this. Phil chimed in with that one too. David Wolf wrote a couple of those songs. So he was with the, obviously the rock and wrestling connection with Cindy Lauper. So that's that's pretty cool. All right. Who's up? Am I up? No. Who, yeah, I'm up again. Right. All right. December 15th, 1997. I have a prepared statement, by the way. Vince McMahon in a pre-taped segment aired on Monday Night Raw. Vince announces that WWF will be moving from the good guys and bad guys concept to a more attitude and hence the attitude error is born, even though I think they were really entrenched. Uh, just a couple of highlights from his speech. It has been said that anything can happen here in the World Wrestling Federation. But now more than ever, truer words have never been spoken. This is a conscious effort on our part to be to open the creative envelope, so to speak. So in order to entertain you in a more contemporary manner, even though we call ourselves sports entertainment because of the athleticism involved, the key word in that phrase is entertainment. We also think that you're tied to the same old simplistic theory of good guys versus bad guys. Surely the era of the superhero who urges you to say your prayers and take your vitamins is definitely, let's just say, passe. Hulk Hogan dig that right there. However, due to the live nature of Raw and Warzone, we encourage some degree of parental discretion as it relates to the younger audience being allowed to stay up late. Now, that's just a highlight of what Vince McMahon said, but we all know what this is referencing because this is a prelude to what? Outrageous storylines, nudity, violence, boiler room matches, uh, chair shots, uh, I quit matches, all that stuff. Uh, that Vince McMahon pushed the envelope on and, you know, of course, puppies and everything else that came along after that. Interesting note, though. I mean, you talk about an historic endeavor by Vince McMahon to come out and warn the public that, you know, well, not, not only warn them that there's going to be some heavy duty stuff coming on the air at, late at night. But, hey, wrestling is fake, so to speak, is what he was referencing. It's more of sports entertainment. And that really crossed a major major and hurdle the K, the way oh we yeah know it. right then and there i remember like it was right. yesterday i'm like what's he doing on on the opening segment and when he talked about it boy he meant it so this was uh the birth of the attitude ever even though they were slowly building up to it and vince saw dollar signs and boy uh mr mcmahon was born shortly thereafter so yeah. this was a big deal what this was, was a huge deal when did wrestling when was it actually believable i mean i don't i don't think coming out after the late 50s early 60s pretty right. much everybody understood what it was even though you didn't necessarily say it i th I think to me wrestling was real in a sense where you had to perform whether you know athletes have to perform wrestlers do the same thing i come up in the era of professional wrestling where a story is told you know like a soap opera and so forth but yeah i was uh i, I can i would suck myself into that element. I cried when superstar Billy Graham tore up Bob Backlund's title and Backlund was physically bawling his eyes out saying, why, why, why? And I, that was, to me, was believable. Even though they weren't wrestling, that storyline made it believable. Yes. Andre the Giant getting attacked by Killer Khan with a broken leg. 
people in the audience were screaming and crying. And I'm a, I'm a 13, 12 year old kid going, what the hell's going on? What's going on here? Your guy's got a broken leg and he's attacking him. So, you know, it was believable um, to the extent where the storylines catapulted and sometimes overtook the wrestling side of it. You know, it, so it, to me, it was believable back the, then. The, the term was temporary suspension of disbelief. And they, they did that to perfection. Uh, they 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 made it. I mean, Vince Russo said that. I mean, that he he compared the difference between wrestling then and wrestling now. Wrestling right. then were two guys working to, hard to make you, the audience, believe that they were actually having a fight. Right. And I mean, to me, that was uh, up until uh, Hogan beat the Sheik. Yeah. Up until then, I still, even though I, I knew what was going on, but even like Bruno Zabisco, which was 1980. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was 25. I'd been watching for 12 years. I, I knew, you know, I knew the score. But to me, that was so real that I forgot that, it, you know, that that it was predetermined. Um, yeah. But, you know, Russo said now it's, it's you know, no longer two guys working to make you believe it's real. It's just two guys trying to get their shit in. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. No facial expression. No, you know, uh, working this hold to, to ex- show how excruciatingly painful it is. And uh, yeah, we've talked about like it. That. You know, even the uh, the the, uh, the lockup of the hands, the for we don't see any of that anymore. Nope, nope. Yeah, when and Bruno, it, it, when Bruno and Superstar would do that test of strength, and they'd lock yeah. up, and I mean, just and they could do that for like a minute and a half, two minutes, and nobody said boring. No, nope. not one person. I mean, it, 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 you know, you wanted to see what was going to happen, and they, they made it look so real. You really thought you were watching a fight. Yeah, it was, it was a big. It was always the buildup. It was a storyline. It was the prelude to the wrestling. Morales, Morocco Wars. I was a kid then. I genuinely believe these two hated each other. And some of the names they called each other on TV, you could not say today because the you know politically incorrect and all that stuff. Morocco had some choice words for Morales back then. And that made you believe there was a fight coming to town, whether it was the Boston Garden, Madison Square Garden, the Spectrum, you know, the Capitol Center, anywhere else. And, that, you know, you believed it, that temporary suspension of belief and all that you you mentioned that it was you're spot on with that you bought um, a ticket to watch guys fighting whereas now you buy a ticket to watch uh to do a sing-along and see an ass clown like seth rollins dressed like a like a bozo i mean it's just so different well, one of the reasons why i don't go to a raw taping anymore is because you know th- there's there isn't any of that it's like okay we're gonna take a break we got a tv timeout it's a show it's, it's a show like, now I get that it's part, Cirque du Soleil. i mean I mean, there were times when nobody wrestled in between the commercial breaks. Now they kind of keep the crowd entertained by yeah, wrestling because they knew when you come back from the break, they'll have stuff coming up know? on the monitors with with like you know oh, yeah. dance alongs. They'll have you know people yep. come out shoot T-shirts into the crowd. Yeah, yep. it's uh. Well, last time I went to MSG, yeah, they had a couple of dark it, it, dark things on the when uh, when they were doing extended segments on uh, on TV. They had a, a surprise Ronda Rousey come out and beat up Dewdrop or something like that. Uh, yeah, but yeah, right, right. it's. Yeah, I get it. They're they're giving something more to the crowd. They're giving something more to that live audience. But no, it, it, sure. the old days are, are gone. I look back when I met Manny Fernandez, and he was telling me the story about him and Wahoo in the strap matches. And you oh, know, yeah. they, by the they were just letting it, laying it into each other. They were not holding back. They that pain that they were showing oh, was no. real, because they yeah. were hurting each other, and they no, they no, did that. Yeah left and right i mean he's he told me one point that he had to go get a bunch of stitches because because of the strap and i i yeah. believe him <laughs> i mean the, the the shoot matches as they call are just non-existent anymore it's just what they do like you said you get in 
Get as much crap in as you can before the next commercial break. You know, there's just no storytelling anymore. No. You know what I mean? Nope. Like, talk about CM Punk coming back. That was great. Hell froze over. That was shocking and the shock and awe and all of that. But where do we go now? You know what I mean? I'm sure that's for another podcast. But <laughs> yeah, and by the way, Punk is very, very vanilla. Uh, it seems it seems like he's holding back or he's being held back because his promos just oh. don't they don't have the usual spice that he normally would have. Oh, you're going to see that change. I think I think the end story is. I I think you're right. I think that is part here, of a larger story. Here is the prodigal son, but we all know what happens. Sooner or later, he's going to butt heads and absolutely. You know, and that's in the WWE is going to build on that. And they're going to want us to wait and watch and see what happens. And when it finally does happen, you know, that'll be the end of that. So, yeah, we'll absolutely. You got it. Totally agree. All right. So December 16th, 1990, St. Louis, Missouri, Starcade uh, WCW presents Starcade 90 collision course at the historic Keel auditorium. This show featured the Pat O'Connor Memorial international cup, Tag team tournament in, in honor of the great former NWA champion who had passed away earlier in the year. In the finals, Team USA, which was the Steiners, defeated Team Japan, which was Great Muda and Mr. Saito, to capture the cup. And in non-tournament action, Sting defeated Black Scorpion to retain the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Dick the Bruiser was a special guy. I, I love that name, Dick the Bruiser. Dick the Bruiser. <laughs> What a name! And he, he, uh, my favorite, one of my favorite wrestling uh, magazine articles was "I Can Lick Any Man Alive" by Dick the Bruiser. <laughs> Something you could never say today. <laughs> Wasn't he like a big tag team with Crusher? I mean, yeah, like, it, Bruiser, it, it, Crusher. It, it, Those are wrestling names. If I Richard Atlas was his real name. He played oh, really? for the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, he did, wow. and uh, came to wrestling because, I mean, believe it or not, you know, back in the fifties. You can make more money as a professional wrestler than you could as an NFL ball player. Wow. There you go. Yeah. Unbelievable. I'm sure you could. Dude. But now, I have a question, though. Who, and, and you know, if, if anybody out there, it, this, the end, the Scorpion, the Black Scorpion, I do not think was Flair this time. Was it Al Perez? Anybody Ooh. know who that was? Might have been Al Perez. I'm, I'm going to say Al Perez, but maybe uh, Phil might know that. Hmm. Interesting. Have to get someone to chime in on that if they can. Yeah. Definitely, definitely, check that out. All right, am I up again? Yes, sir. Oh boy, okay, we're gonna go. December sixteenth, two thousand seven, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. WWE presents Armageddon from the Mellon Arena in front of twelve thousand five hundred people, paid attendance with two hundred thirty-seven watching via pay-per-view. In the main event, we saw Edge defeat Batista and the Undertaker in a triple threat match to win the World Heavyweight Championship. Um, again, this is that stage of WWE where transformation um, almost kind of like eat, eat, sleep, repeat is going on and so forth. Quick note, some of the matches on there uh, that I liked, Ray Mysterio defeated MVP by Countout. That was a big one. Um, big Daddy V and Mark Henry and, with Matt Stryker defeated CM Punk and Kane. CM Punk on the card. Shawn Michaels defeating Mr. Kennedy. Whatever happened to Kennedy? Does anybody know? Um, Triple H uh, lost to Jeff Hardy. Finlay with Hornswoggle, another another one there, defeated the Great Kali with uh, Singh in the in the corner. Chris Jericho defeated Randy Orton. Good match there by disqualification. Beth Phoenix defeated Mickey James. Um, obviously, two Hall of Famers there. Edge defeated Batista and the Undertaker and so forth to win the championship. Vanilla pay per view to say the least. Experts really. 
I want to say gave this probably a six or a seven out of a 10. Um, like I said, Oh seven things are starting to change. I know Vince is probably looking in a new direction, still trying to find out what year they went public with the stock and so forth. But you got, you know, I think still said again, 03. Okay. Oh three. So they're already public. So, you know, no more violence, no more blood, no more, you know, uh, the stuff that the attitude era was used to and so forth. Things were kind of, I, I don't know, to me during this year, again, I would tune in just to see what happened, but I wasn't a, you know, I didn't buy the pay-per-view all the time. By then the internet was up and running and we, we were cooking with that. Um, so I can find out the results probably as they happened at the time. I think iPhones were just coming out then too as well. Um, so like, like a vanilla to me, like I know we hate to use that word, but yeah, um, this was not, oh, I got to go watch this pay-per-view because I got to see so-and-so. This was each sleep repeat for me. Um, I'm sure some people disagree and so forth. And that's great. It's great to have an opinion. But uh, to me, yeah, it was just uh, whatever. <laughs> so, so to you, Joe, I'm, I'm getting out of here, right? I'm getting out of here. I'm getting. I'm getting. So, so speaking of getting out of here, it looks like Phil has got to go. He's got some clients. So, Phil, we will see you tomorrow night on the 30. See you, Phil. All righty. So moving on to 2012, WWE presents TLC at the Barclays Center. The event marks the debut of The Shield. Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, and Seth Rollins in a six-man TLC match against Daniel Bryan Kane and Mr. Charisma himself, Ryback. The match was won by The Shield. Uh, main event saw Dolph Ziggler win a ladder match with money in the bank briefcase at stake uh, when AJ Styles turned on John Cena to side with Ziggler. So check, check that out, the debut of The Shield. Who would have thought that, what, 10 yeah. years, uh, 12 years later, the according to PW, PW Insider, or uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, and Seth Rollins are the number one, two, and three top wrestlers. I think uh, yeah. it was Seth, then... Uh, Roman yeah. Reigns, then, uh, then uh, Moxley there. So. And he carries that torch to this day, Moxley. He knows that. You know, he, he spent the next few years in WWE, and he was, what, point-blank miserable, right? He so, was like... So uh, Pat F. is chiming in with, he said, uh, Kennedy is now uh, doing something. A, a boxing. Bro a yeah, boxing announcer now. Oh, cool! Thanks, Pat. Appreciate only, that. Only fitting, right? And with the, you know, he had that classic thing with the mic coming down. And, and welcome, welcome, Pat. Pat's Kennedy. a new, Pat's a newer viewer, so welcome, Pat. Yeah, thanks Pat, for, welcome. Thanks for coming by. Appreciate yeah, you, Pat. Thanks for the intro. You. Nice, good stuff there. Awesome. Oh, it looks like little little Patty stopped, uh, jumped in the chat too. Little pa Patty, yeah, how's little it going? Patty. Hey, <laughs> little Patty's a Chiefs fan, I think, if I remember correctly. Chiefs, Chiefs, and Pats this Sunday. All right, who's up? Benny, you up? I, I believe it's me. So uh, December 17th, 1979, New York, New York, Madison Square Garden. Bob Backlund defeats Bobby Duncombe in a Texas death match to regain the WWF championship. The title had been vacated 10 days earlier. So uh, Backlund went to Japan. Uh, Inoki beat him in a title change that was never recognized. Uh, I guess in the return encounter, they, they went to a draw. And Oki didn't want the championship, which I, I don't understand. But uh, And it was never recognized. And uh, Backlund's reign is continuous. They show him from uh, February of 78 to December of 83. And I don't get that. I mean, WW, I mean, NWA would do the, you know, the, the you know, the Harley race, the, the Briscoe, you know, to oh, yeah, Japan yeah. with the Baba. Yeah, we uh, talked about know, that last week, yep. And, you know, and then even you know, Dusty won the title, I think, three times. But you know, I don't think he ever had it more than a couple of weeks. They had no problem changing the belt out frequently but the wwe they believed in that long-term thing 
At least then they did. I'm starting to think it was like a prestigious thing. They didn't want to have that, you know, champion for a day or two type element that the NWA had and so forth, a.k.a. Tommy Wildfire Rich, but he held the belt seven yeah. days. Six days Garvin ever. had it one month. I don't think he made it. Right. So, like, I think it's a prestigious thing, but I also think it was just the power thing. If you weren't there, you didn't know about it. You know, unfortunately, people were there and they did know about it. Just like Greg Valentine in Backlund in November of 81, that was to, you know, that title was vacated a month before. Same situation there. You know, it was only recognized in New York, but it wasn't recognized anywhere else. Even right. though the even though the wrestling magazines come out and showed Valentine wearing the title. Um, so this, to me, I think I want to say it's a prestigious thing now. I've been trying to think about this because we talked about it last last week. I'm starting to think that they just didn't want that. You know, one minute it's this guy, the next minute it's that guy. They they thought their champions were the face of the company, and they were supposed to carry the company. And I think, yeah, I think Ben Senior wanted stability. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, I mean, interesting note. I mean, you know, we're we're talking about it now, 1979, and you know, obviously there's literature on it, and there's people that have witnessed it or written about it, but still to have a company like the WWE or then the WWWF not recognize it, just it's dumbfounding to me. It's I just don't understand it. Yeah, gotcha. Great. All right, moving on. We get December 17th, 2000 in beautiful Washington, D.C. The final Starcade under the WCW banner was presented at the MCI Arena. Only 50,000 fans purchased for this lackluster pay-per-view. Oh, okay. So, ooh, that was horrible. Uh, the main event saw Scott Steiner retain the WCW Heavyweight Championship over Sid Vicious. A 55-year-old Terry Funk defeated the Crowbar for the hardcore title. And approximately three months later, WCW was purchased by Vince McMahon for some office supplies. Now, experts <laughs> gave this a this pay-per-view a 6.0. Really not going to go through the matches. But anyways, this was the last arcade under any other pay-per-view under the WC banner because Vince McMahon would actually buy this company three months later. I think that the talent knew the end was there. The people knew the end was there. But they, everybody thought this pay-per-view was going to be a sleeper. Uh, but some of the matches proved otherwise. The wrestlers still on the card wanted to put on a show and so forth. Morale was lower than low. Uh, the only interesting note I could really find on this was, fast forward to uh, 2017, uh, WWE held a house show called Starcade, which took place on November 25th, 2017 at the Greensboro Coliseum. Uh, that's probably why they did it, because it was in Greensboro. Uh, main event, AJ Styles versus Jinder Mahal, blah, 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 2017. It was a house show. Uh, really, nobody paid attention to it. So, I mean, to me, that's like almost like Vince McMahon socking it to Jim Crockett and them for having those uh, Starcades for all those years and then to take fans on Thanksgiving every year for multiple years and to just throw an anniversary show up on a house show. Uh, I, I don't know. seems like Vince was saying the hell with those guys. <laughs> yeah. You guys tell me. Yeah, no, that was definitely the nail was everything was over at WCW at that point. What did he end up buying right. everything for? I think it was like ten million dollars or something. He I got, think it was more like three three million. It was it, it was, was crazy. Steal. I mean, yeah, I mean, he made that back in the first uh, first tape he released. Oh yeah, yeah, and the, and I think the main part here was he just wanted the library. He wanted yeah. the footages. He wanted all right. that stuff. Forget about the company because you know what he's going to do with the company. He's actually going to combine it, dissolve it, do whatever. He wanted the he wanted the library. That was a big deal. That was a big. Uh, I think I read somewhere or during the Monday Night Wars and so forth that him and Ted Turner would go back and forth. Like he wanted that library because he knew it was going to be money. Turner coming from the television side almost didn't want to give it to him. But eventually, you know, that was part of the deal. But he wanted the, that footage. He wanted the footage. No doubt about it. So he well, knew he knew there was money there. So 
Let's fast forward to the last topic for today. We have WWE Clash of Champions on 12-17-2017. WWE Clash of Champions took place at the TD Bankworth Garden. The main event saw AJ Styles successfully defend his WWE Championship against Jinder Mahal. Dolph Ziggler won the Intercontinental Championship in a triple threat against Bobby Roode and defending champion Baron Corbin. Wow. Um, the rest of the card wasn't wasn't much better, uh, but if you look at you know those were some of the most hyped things, and outside of AJ Styles, really, no nobody's relevant out of, out of those guys anymore. Yeah, I was just gonna say they're all they're all pretty much gone, or they're just yeah they're just not relevant anymore. Now, now Bobby were... Roode, Bobby, Bobby Roode had spinal fusion surgery a couple months ago, so what he's happened up... to Corbin? Where where is he? He's now in he's he's NXT. NXT, yeah, and he says he doesn't want right. to move back up to the big roster because he's kind of found his calling down there and uh, is enjoying helping the. He came from there. Yeah, he's a yeah, he came from there. So why not? Right? Yeah. Yeah, he's doing wonders down there. You, I think people know that when you go to NXT, you're, you're part of a smaller locker room, and that you want to, you know, and it gets you motivated because you know you're going to have your time. Where when you're on SmackDown or Raw, you're either going to have the time, or you're not going to have the time because, as we all know, a lot of people sit in catering week after week, and you don't even know who's there. Sure. So, um, yeah, but Baron Corbin, NXT, good stuff there. But Bobby Roode's still recovering from uh, – he had like two uh, spinal surgeries this past couple of years. Um, not sure if he's going to retire or not, but I do know that he was backstage at Raw producing or doing some stuff. Um, so, I mean, he's mobile now, but he still has a long road to recovery. But uh, he's definitely in the background somewhere. Uh, I'm still trying to wrap my arms around Jinder Mahal pinning Randy Orton for the, the, the <laughs> WWE. And that, that you know, I posted something on Facebook. What what was the, the the worst finishing hold of all time? And my my two choices were Wade Barrett's Wasteland and uh, Eric Watts is Fireman Carry. But I think I have to make number three. Jinder Mahal's was a coloss. Yeah, something what, like that. What, what Whatever that, that even was. What about that pounce one where he just runs into the guy on the side and knocks him over? It's oh the. The, the the drive-by? I don't the even, drive-by? It just, it just looks horrible. The guy just runs into the guy's yeah. side. Yeah, it's crazy. But, now, don't forget, Jinder Mahal, this is on the cusp of uh, the Saudi Arabia deal that Vince was about to ink. And Jinder Mahal has played a huge role in that because Jinder Mahal became champion when they went over there. Right. Um, so that was a big deal. Then the India tour started. So this is like on the cusp of that. They were expanding globally, um, you know, with the Saudi deal and the India stuff and all that stuff. So... Uh, that's why kind of Jinder Mahal was uh, in in you know inputted as a champion for some time there. So it's amazing how they recycle him. What, what was the name of the thing with three MB <laughs> with uh, with uh, Drew McIntyre? Who's the third person? I can't remember now. Oh my god, I couldn't so, even tell you. Was it Shannon uh, Moore or Shannon Moore? No, no, that was he was he, part of three count. Buff Bagwell. No, I'm only kidding. Mike Mike Bonney <laughs> says the uh, the worst is either the People's Elbow or Santino's Snake. The Cobra's got to be, that's got right up there. It's like absolutely stucking. The Cobra, the Cobra. Bring back the sleeper hold. you got to love yeah, that. Yeah, the sleeper hold. And then not only the sleeper hold, though, like what was very important about the sleeper hold was that the heel had to pat smack the guy in the back to wake him up because, like, there was no yeah. blood going to the brain. And the announcer would sell the shit out of that. And they'd start oh, yeah. panicking if, like, Professor Tanaka, you yeah. know, played around and didn't slap the guy. I mean, eventually he did, of course, but, Yeah. yeah. I, I, I love that. That was, that was very believable. I, I think what they could do nowadays with the commercial breaks, put him in the sleeper hold, then during the commercial break, you know, put the picture in picture and then come back out and be like, he's still asleep, and then go to another commercial break. You know, he won't wake up, but you can really play that if you really right. want. Right. Oh, well. 
is what it is. So it looks like we've come to a, the end of another show. Uh, thanks, guys. That was a lot of fun. Some cool, cool topics. Thanks everybody. Thank everybody for tuning in. This has been great. Absolutely, uh, yes. Yeah, Santino I, Snake. Well, the, the chat was I, awesome. I imagine he's talking about Cobra. I, I, we had a really active chat. It was pretty cool. I'm glad uh, we're going to be pretty much doing this every Thursday live at 4 p.m. It looks like that seems to be a time that's working for for all of us. And uh, so nice. tune in next week for that. But uh, hey, Joe, what, what do you got? To, what do you have to plug for this week? Uh, we got what a day in Centerville goes live tonight at eight o'clock Eastern time, seven o'clock my time. Uh, that is live on Facebook and YouTube. You can find that on my what a day in Centerville uh, Facebook and YouTube page. And of course. I know he's not tuned in right now because he was. I'm coming after Phil tomorrow night on Monty and the Farrow Presents The 30. I am not going to be the SD Jones of this competition. I'm going to get the Duke sooner or later. Nice. Nice. What are you, what's going on with uh, with Dan and Benny in the ring? And the uh, uh, what, what's the twin ball? What did we rename it? Twin Bill is now the Line Drive Baseball Podcast. Coming back at you. Is that a show? Coming right at you. Coming right at you. But, you know, more importantly, you know, as an Italian man, I want to know what little Patty is cooking for dinner. That's what I mean, because that's all I really care about at this moment. She's, she's, awesome. Oh, she's cooking? Oh, what is she, she said, cooking? Yeah, she's trying to listen, but she's cooking supper at the same time. There I got to know go. what she's making. Well, hey, why don't we thank her for tuning in? That's great. Absolutely. Yeah. Good stuff. These all are right, all good people. This is truly a family here. All right. Well, uh, you know, thank everybody for tuning in. We'll hopefully see everybody tomorrow night on the 30 and the main show. And until next week, later. Later. What a day. Ciao. From the pages of Wrestling Remembered comes Where Are They Now? Our own Jimmy Farrow. Even though Jimmy's missing in action from the show for the past couple months, his chair is just waiting for his return. Currently, Farrow is on break from the show and is soaking up the sun with his love in Florida. Ron Shaw. Last we saw Ron, he and Monty buried the hatchet on an episode of Monty and the Farrow. Since then, Ron was seen threatening to punch a director after not receiving a role on the senior edition of the Jersey Shore. Currently, he can be seen beating up drunks at his country club. John Cena Sr. John Cena Sr. quickly became a friend of the show during the Thursday Night Wars. Currently, Mr. Cena can be found making his world-famous hot sauce. Daniela Petro. Former co-host Daniela was terminated for breaking the code of conduct of Monty and the Pharaoh and has returned to a life of irrelevance and posting about Matt Riddle on X.com. That's all for this week. Make sure to check out Wrestling Remembered for your weekly dose of wrestling history.